Welcome back to the Brothers Book Club Podcast. We're here. We're late. That happens sometimes. Sometimes you're not on time. And this podcast is coming a little off schedule. You know, that's that's kind of becoming the schedule. We are... Someone needs to hold this accountable. Uh, yeah. You're saying we need more listener emails? It's stump one at gmail.com. I, Send us your disappointments, regrets. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, it's just going to take one complaint. Like, hey... I was really looking forward to that on Monday, and you really let me down. I did. Well, okay, I won't go on this too long. I did have someone I chatted with the other day who did ask where it was. So we did get that, though. It was a conversation, though, um, over the phone, not not via email. Well, I'm just going to need you to tell that friend to uh, write a formal complaint because I I need that in writing. But Yeah, we'll get a form. I'll get a form made. Okay. Yeah. We need, yeah. We need to set up a custom uh, field form on the if, on the website. If a complaint, complaint doesn't box. have a letter and number form to match it, does the complaint exist? This is one of the great bureaucratic questions of all time. I think the answer I, is no. No. I think it. I think it has to be filed in a in a certain way, or it definitely deserves a complaint number. It's like taking it yeah. like taking a ticket. Without a letter number code, I think it's it's just a ghost of a complaint, you know, a phantom complaint. And that, you know, we're not here for those. Yeah, from nobody. It's like a suggestion box. We're not we're not into that. If though you want to complain about us doing this complaint segue slash delay, that we will not accept. There's no form for that. We're gonna just keep the yeah. tangent here for as long as we choose. Yeah, it's a new section of the podcast. We're working it in to every week now where we just yeah. uh, you know, it's off the top. Open with a gripe session. I think that's that would draw some people in. <laughs> we've and I'm not going to try and delay us too far here, but we've we've had conversations about having like a gripe podcast before. That's <laughs> uh, that's you know that's that's been on the table. So well, the topics are endless and ever growing, <laughs> ever increasing. So it's ripe. I mean, I you know whether we pluck it or not is a different matter, but it's it's ripe for the picking. Yeah, we picked it this week. Who knows? You'll just have to tune in uh, next week. Uh, if will, you they, know. will they find? Here's the question: Will they find gripes in today's episode? Probably not too many. I think this is I the don't... segue into our early reviews. We're doing this week a modest proposal, which is a famous satire essay by Jonathan Swift, who is a ferocious landmark 18th century satirist, which is what the book is calling him. Um, we're doing the next, this is the next in the installment of Penguin Little Black Classics. This is number eight on the list out of 80. So the march continues. Um, the collection, then, we should say up front, has more than a modest proposal in it. Because that essay is actually kind of short. It's like five to ten pages. Yeah. Um, there's a poem in here. There's a couple other essays that have satirical components but aren't entirely satire. Some of it's just social criticism. Um, yes. And so it's kind of a mix. It's a good, honestly, it's a decent taste of his, um, what's that word I never use and don't like, oeuvre? It's yeah. like a taste of his kind of, <laughs> his, it, it's a good summary of his work. Like his catalog? Yeah, yeah, it's like an overview of his, uh, yeah, his collection, body of work, collection of work. Yeah, wait, what was the word that you used, oeuvre? Right, yeah, I think it, it might be a French origin word. 
I'm going to have to Google it. Uh, it is, let's see. Yeah, it is a French term. Hmm. I so never I don't know it. why I employed it. <laughs> Nobody knows. Oh, no. Uh, no, no, no. It has an English. It's made its way into English. Yeah, it's the works of a painter, composer, or author regarded collectively. So I did use it collect- correctly. You did. Oof. Po- yeah, points, really points for that. Yeah, that was a yeah. that was a shot. You took it. Yeah, the, you know you've spent too much time with uh, standardized high school and college testing when that <laughs> word flies out of your mouth unprompted, yeah. without any, without any, uh, no one provoking it. Um, I guess Swift did. Swift's pretty provocative. Um, what's your review of this collection of the short little uh, collection here? I, you know, this was, I never really read any Jonathan Swift going in and I'd heard of the stories and I gotta say, man, it's, um, it's a pretty good, it's a pretty good collection. Oeuvre. It's a pretty, uh, it's a pretty solid taste into some really heavy satire stuff, mainly the, um, the modest proposal, the short story, um, but yeah, some definite uh, socioeconomic digs, though, at seventh and eighteenth century, seventeenth, eighteenth century Ireland. Um, so I found that I found that to be quite interesting as well. Really, really solid. Uh, I found it the comparison for to today, which we're not always trying to do, but I think in this case it warrants it. Um, he's just like a really pithy educated person. He just is relentless and he is clearly knowledgeable. And it's as if you took, you know, a master of tweeting today and you just drop them back in that era of writing and delivery. Um, I think he would fit very well into the Twitter era of constant critique. I could see him even on a political TV segment. It's sort of like that, but just a few hundred years old. He's sort of the, you know, keeping up with current events. I, I think can see that. His his work, I think, needs more runway than you can get. You know, tweets are tweets are brief. He this guy's doing long form. Um That's true. But even then, like, you know, the satire in a modest proposal is not that lengthy, all told. For a satire, I think it seems long now. We'll get into that context a little bit, but you know, in the grand scheme of essay writing, it's really pretty pretty quick. Yeah, I thought you know, every section kind of goes by really quickly. And I thought, you know, going back in and rereading them after I had read each one uh, just made them that much better. But um, yeah, there's there's a lot to unpack here. Indeed, indeed. Um, so let's get to unpacking, Ryan. What quotes jumped out to you? What did you what did you find intriguing here? Well, I really liked the, <laughs> the I this was the last quote I pulled after I reread it, but I. I went back and I pulled the quote from page one, and I think it could uh, could be a new potential uh, stumped official motto. And it's uh, surely mm-hmm. mortal man is a broomstick. The first story is a meditation upon a broomstick, and um, I thought that was I thought that was pretty excellent. This is a great intro quote because out of context, it's hilarious. In yes. context, in context, it's effective. But it rep- I think it represents the collection well in that you, the quote on its own is is perfectly funny. Like, yes. surely mortal man is a broomstick. You can take that metaphor anywhere, and it's I've never, you know, yeah, I've never been more sure of anything in my life. 
Oh, d- yeah, certainly. He really <laughs> illuminates some truth here. Yeah, but big time. It, it also, in the title of that um, little, that's a really little essay, a page and a half. Yeah. Um, it is, it's written in a mock style, I think, to tease whoever Robert Boyle is. Robert Boyle must have wrote a book called Meditations. Medi- yeah. And so th- it's indicative of the, this whole collection because if you're willing to, to meet him halfway, halfway being about 200 years ago or 250, then yeah. there's so much gold here that you can mine out of this. But yeah. you have to, uh, without the context, it still works a lot of it, but also a lot of it does not. I would, I would be, I think it'd be misleading to say, oh no, go in blind. You don't even have to know what Ireland's politics were at this time to just get it. Like it, it's not going to work that well. Yeah. That's a lot tougher. Yeah. Like the, I mean, with any satire, it's circumstances, everything situation, the social scene, the politics, and this is no exception though. A lot of it's funny on its own. Surely a lot of it's funny on its own. Yeah. There are some, there's definitely, uh, points where you're like oh man yeah that's really good that's really funny but i feel like when you're looking at satire we've we've read a little bit uh a little bit of satire some older satire and i feel like you i go in kind of uh hesitant because i'm not sure like how forward or how outlandish they're gonna be and it was it was pretty early on that you were like oh yeah this guy sure it's a couple hundred years old but he has a he has a pretty crisp and you know, current sense of humor. And I think you can pretty like, I liked where he was going from like, from the onset. And, and again, parts of it just work regardless of when you're reading it, the messages, he's got a lot of universality in here. The 2019 connection I pulled, um, I wrote down, give me my 2019 connection or give me death. I don't know why. I don't think it relates to any Liberty quote. Strong um, feelings. Yeah, I know. I I just think it's relevant. Um, I also typed this like two, two weeks ago, so I don't, I kind of remember it, but the quote works on its own. It's, I mean, where words make a sound wholly are inarticulate, which gives so much disturbance and so little information, which is just about as much of a quote about yelling into a void of information as you'd want or need in 2019. Oh man, um, yeah, that's really that's really good. That's pretty and, spot on. Yeah, and it's just such a uh, well said, you know, crisp little sentence that is perfectly critical, and you don't even really need the context to enjoy it. You can just think, yeah, fucking a. That's just we just that's something I feel every day. Yeah, you think about you know we were talking about Twitter earlier, and it's like the the power of like the comments and how you know you can be reading some of these things and say you know you read a comment that sounds you know devastating and this and that but then you can find out click on this person it's like a 12 year old it's like the power of the uh the power of the of the words yeah they they mean very little but um just throwing them around it's uh it's like the that's what everyone's doing now yeah, it's it, parsing information from sound disturbances has uh, become a modern skill. One yeah. which you need to have in order to yeah. navigate. Um, so yeah, th- there are connections aplenty. And even I, even if the satire and some of the political particulars don't, you know, you, you're going to have to do the work on that to connect it. It's There's still plenty to be found, even if you don't have the context. Right. What other quotes stood out to you? I've got a couple more, but did you have another one that was uh, particularly interesting? There was one. There's, I mean, there were a couple that, um, you know, kind of put 
the time and place into perspective a lot of the ireland stuff he's got a short story and i think it's just called like a a short view of the state of ireland and it's you know it's not that long but he kind of kind of breaks down <laughs> where they're at as a uh-huh. as a country as a country at the point and um he's <laughs> he gets a couple really good digs in and uh on page i think it was let's see page 11 He's like, no strangers from other countries uh, make this part of their travels where they can expect to see nothing but scenes of misery and desolation. Oh, yeah. Uh, One thing that I also really thought that Swift does well is he uses um, italics, I think, very, uh, like, very intelligently. I like, uh, I noticed Mm -hmm. that, like, halfway through. I'm like, man, when this guy chooses to italicize a word or, like, capitalize a word, it's like... It's in the it's in the perfect spot. I don't know what you call that, or if there's an official term for that. There are. I'll I'll try and dig if, while you're explaining. I'll try and dig into the the old Oxford Literature Dictionary I keep by my bedside here. See if I can pull those. <laughs> it's it really was just a stylistic decision, but even pre-Victorian, like well before that Shakespeare era in nonfiction to yeah to both italicize and capitalize i mean if you read the the declaration of independence even that oh, yeah. has, it's rampant with that with, sure. where freedom in this sentence is capitalized freedom in that sense is not it, it's just another uh, flourish adds a layer of dimension that yeah we have lost that in fact We're i mean com- completely lost yeah capitalization at this point makes you look like a buffoon i mean even <laughs> capitalizing a word incorrectly like if it's not a proper noun you just yeah look like a fool um, right. There are still some instances, though, where I think it's relevant. I remember in in school and in college, uh, people talk about big L literature, like capital L, to de- delineate between like books for fun and books for art, kind of a d- debate. You know, if you want to get entrenched in that argument, what what counts as literary or whatever. But that, okay. I mean, th- that's not like a it's not a stylistic use at that point. It's like categorizing. You know, it's just. Yeah, but um, I don't know. That was something that I kind of picked out. Uh, it's rampant. There's a lot oh, yeah. of and, and yeah, it's just been completely lost. But yeah, Swift. I thought he did it did it really well. Um, and I actually pulled a different one from two pages after that, and he kind of talks about what kind of what he thinks needs to be done. It's kind of earnest, and he was um saying if we do flourish, it must be against every law of nature and reason. <laughs> like thorn at Glastonbury, the blossoms in the midst of winter. Like, uh, yeah, like, man, we have. <laughs> like, if we succeed, it's gonna make no sense. Which, and, and you, you wonder know. why the Irish have their pride now. You know, yeah. few hundred, a few hundred years of that kind of suffering, and you're, yeah, uh, man. I mean, you're bound to be a pleasant people. Yeah, this this dude, he made it sound tough and it's funny because i have friends who like everyone's traveling to ireland now it's like a it's a destination he would i i think he would absolutely his, his world would be rocked if you were you know to transplant into 2019 it's like ireland's doing pretty good man I don't think he'd be shocked that a large part of it has to do with the strong culture of drinking and celebrating. I think that that would be unsurprising to him. That can yeah, that can endure that, all kinds of calamities. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, no, it's it is a fascinating turnaround. Let's hope that they don't all become Amazon warehouse workers over there. Yeah, totally possible. I saw that we pulled the same quote in an act of uh, 
kind of disgusting serendipity here. We both pulled <laughs> the, what we can call the anus quote, I think, without any uh, yeah. you know, explanation or context. In fact, yeah. I might not even read the quote. I'll just say, yeah, listeners, when you go read the essay about the grievances against Ireland, just find the anus part, and we thought that was pretty good. There's a whole part where uh, it comes from, like, you know, he really digs into, like, a, like the excrement problem that exists in Dublin, and yeah. he goes as far as to, like, classify the poops and start talking about buttholes and stuff this, like that this is the part <laughs> where the satire meets the science in a way that is reminiscent of some of the funnier some of the funny stuff these days i mean the onion is like that's yeah. the satire of our time i don't there's sure. other ones there's click hole now and other but it's basically the onion is the gold standard um yeah that's that's which, it in a sense is a small shame I, the new yorker has one columnist who's they'll sometimes have him or her i don't even remember who the person is, but they'll do, have them do a satire once and again, but there's no other consistent satire source because the onion, I mean, they do such a great job, frankly, it's, um, yeah, they, but anyway. they, cover, they cover, they cover every, you know, kind of sector, but yeah, yeah. But they, yeah. Th- this one reminded me cause the quote, I'll read the quotes on page 37. Um, yes, he is com- commenting on how much fecal matter there is in the streets in Dublin, uh, and how to figure out who is contaminating the streets and he says that he had a doctor, he was talking to a doctor, and it says, And at my request, I was pleased to make trial with each of his fingers, or the doctor was pleased to make trial with each of his fingers by thrusting them into the anus of several persons of both nations. Um, th- this is both probably a literal criticism on the level of, yeah, I'm sure they had sanitation issues then, but is also a political one, because I believe he's trying to determine if you're a Tory or a Whig based on your anus. Yeah, but like the shape of your anus, which he talks, he even goes so far as to talk about like the tips of like where you pinch the poop and how that is how you're able to differentiate one from the other. Of course. Well, yeah, there's all kinds of things in texture. There's a little texture and scent, you know? Yeah, yeah, but this is like in the middle of um, an essay that I thought was a little bit more on like the duller side, the examination of certain abuses, corruptions, and enormities in the city of Dublin. This um, is that's an essay that I think can be read in a lot of parts sincerely, but I think he, yeah, right. he, he switches into the the satire register uh, without Very, any warning. Yeah, yeah, it was um, like. I'm not going to ruin too much about a modest proposal either. If you've never read it, there's a fantastic turn in that story. I'm going to try and not spoil it, but I thought it was a very similar uh, thing that he did in this one where it was just like, Oh man, that's a fantastic turn. I did not expect it to go there. It's incredible how one of our, the books at our, the tutoring place that I work at, um, and we'll be quitting shortly, I'm sure. <laughs> um, wow. We'll see how this podcast ages. Uh, but one of their AP Lang, AP language is a high school class. Um, and one of their AP Lang textbooks has a Moss proposal in it. It's cut up, and so it's a pretty brief version. It's like a one-pager. It's wild how many students do not read it as satire, and like seven out of the ten multiple-choice questions are kind of like, well, if you didn't notice the satire, then you're pretty much doomed. You can't answer any of the questions correctly. Um, <laughs> yeah, and it's... I, it, I think, I mean, a lot of it is just because the language of it is, is, you know, older. So I think just part of it is parsing and comprehending. Um, yeah. Because if you just give a summary of it, then someone will, of course, shrug and say, well, yeah, that's like a pretty obvious satire. If the, if the Onion ran that today, written for today, no one would second-guess it. But yeah, you never know. 
Yeah, yeah. It actually, you know, I really didn't know exactly what to expect going in, and it's not until I don't know two thirds of the way through the through the I guess proposal you could call it that uh, it gets mm-hmm. <laughs> it takes a total turn. It's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. He does his he does his due diligence because you have to set up some sincerity to make the the satire. I feel like is always more potent that way when you have some yeah. kind of when there's a genuinely intriguing thought, some kind of analytical thing, and then that's when you have to transition into absurdities. I also thought you know some of the best parts and what makes it read so well is that you really agree with a lot of the things that he's trying to say. You know, it's like. How man? How are we going to deal with this poverty? Like, how are we going to deal with this? You know, all of these things that are being like dealt to us. Here's you know, here's what I think we need to start doing. And he starts building on these points. And I I found myself being like, yeah, you know, can't argue with that. When he starts talking about the the view of the state of Ireland, where he's like, I'm going to tell you 14 things that you need to be a successful country. You re- you're reading along with him and you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I guess I I guess he's right. That makes total sense. It's reminding me that what you just said is reminding me of the gosh, I wish I knew the name of the episode. Again, we're we're a pretty off the cuff uh, production here. I'm not going <laughs> to Google what the <laughs> podcast title was for this. But Malcolm Gladwell's podcast, Revisionist History, he either did an episode on the idea of satire or he did an episode where he talked a lot about the purpose of it and how satire in today's day and age is kind of like has no purpose almost, which it maybe sounds a bit extreme, but that's kind of the gist of it. And a lot of it focuses on Tina Fey's interpretation of how Tina Fey played Sarah Palin back whenever that election cycle was. Um, yeah. And he, he has some intriguing, I didn't agree with all of his points. I feel like he had somebody on, I think it was like Larry Wilmore. Somebody kind of disagreed with him in there. I think there was some good back and forth, but yeah. uh, at the heart of it, I think, something I believe he had said is just, you have to have something biting. If if it's limp, it, then there's no point. Then what are you doing? And his view is like Tina Fey's Sarah Palin was limp. Like it made her seem kind of friendly, maybe mm-hmm. stupid, but not stupid enough, not dangerously stupid. And so yeah. it was just kind of like, yeah, she's charming and she plays it well, but what is this? What is the criticism here? Like, what, what, yeah, what, what are critical we critical social thing do we need to address that you're doing? Right. And right. so, I, you could probably argue easily. I honestly, I don't keep up with SNL too much. I'll check the sketches every now and again, see what's good. Um, like I don't know Baldwin, uh, his current Trump impersonation. I've seen clips of it and stuff. At some point, though, it's just like, man, what are you saying that's new? What new thing? I mean, if you're just running down the news and kind of adding in a couple of limp attacks. I give, you know, you yeah. have to have something fierce and, you know, if you come out with it and then just keep regurgitating it, it's just not going to, the satire loses its edge. Yeah. It's got to have a, it's got to have a point to it. I, th- I, I would, I would have to agree, agree with that. And I think a certain ferocity that I think was kind of what, again, I'm probably misremembering his podcast, but I think it was about the intensity and the purpose behind it. And it's just, I don't know, but I mean, the best, here. yeah, the best, the best satire I feel like is you know, riding that, riding that line where if you read it or you hear it or you see something that's like really good satire, it's like, Oh, it's like, it kind of, it will, it'll take you back a little bit, which, which it should. I don't think satire should be something that you're able to easily just gloss over and kind of like, you know, ease through it because it should be somewhat disruptive, I guess. 
I think the, I mean, the a good ongoing, good in its effectiveness, I mean, but a good ongoing Onion bit. I mean, I, I read The Onion, I follow their social media, so I see their stuff all the time. And yeah, it's but, fantastic. But a lot of it's chuckles, and then sometimes I'll be like, ooh, that's, that's good, that's fierce. Um, well, sometimes, the, yeah, it, it like hits close to home. Well, the, the best thing they have going is every time there's a mass shooting, they run the same headline and the same article again. And at this yes. point, it's become, it's taken on such a weird, th- I don't I don't know how I think about it or feel about it because it's, th- that's the the joke or the, the satire is there's a numb repetition to it. They don't even change the quotes. They don't change the people. Yeah. They just bump it back to the top. Like that's the joke. That's the satire is like, yeah. this is the it's, same thing again. And of course yeah. the, the title or the headline is there's no way to prevent this says nation where this only nation where this regularly happens or something like that. And yeah, so that's, that's exactly the, what it is, which is, I think one of the better ongoing current, like, it's weird to say that though, because you'd think with the repetition it would lose the potency. But for some reason, you know, you get you see the news headlines, and I just know like, oh, the Onion's going to post now. Like I'm going to when it, someday on Twitter today, sometime I, I'll see the Onion post their headline again. Yeah, yeah, Which, it's it, it's definitely you know the yeah I didn't even think think about that when you brought up the Onion and having them kind of be like the. I don't know if they have like a monopoly over satire, but they're definitely like the most, I, I guess you could think of like back in the day, like mad magazine or like sometimes some kind of like low rent uh, or not low rent, like um, kind of like oddball publication, but I don't know. Like you, you really don't see there's, there's not, it's not coming from as many places. I feel I like even as it was at, you know, 20, 30 years ago, the only other beacon I could think of would be some of SNL. Obviously not all though. That's a sketch show. And, and I mean, even like key and peel, if you go back and watch key and peel, which I loved, like some of it's yeah. sa- satirical. Some of it's just fun. Some of it's just goofy, you know, fun. Yeah. Comedy. yeah just, yeah. Just kind of like stupid stuff, like whacked yeah. out kind of stuff. But right. Yeah. Yeah. Some of the best stuff is, is biting. And I think, kind of to circle back i feel like you know what he was able to do even a few hundred years ago was he had a, he had a good bite it's got a good bite to it indeed you know who could use a better bite our old friend Song ling um <laughs> let's do the author to author section here this is when we compare last week's reading to this week's reading or connect them or i don't know sync them up somehow um i would pay what I paid for this entire collection of 80 books if I could just give the Wailing Ghost stories that Song Ling wrote to Swift and say, please just make these plots into funny satire yeah, plots. that's what I'm talking about. Because the humor could be there. A lot of those were situational and ridiculous and kind of had these absurd things in them, these fantastical parts with just no rhetorical payoff. Just dull, very straightforward. Give me, I wrote down a couple examples, but give me the the peach one where the this father has the son fake killed just so he can get some money make that right. a critique about wealth distribution or something there's the yeah. there's the malcontent ghosts who uh, go are in the house but they're so friendly why can't they be irish he could make them irish poor who like haunt old houses and mansions and make the lives of people there hell i i don't know the, yeah give me swift's interpretation that's my take Man, I think that's pretty much exactly why we ended up creating this segment is to have this good of a like potential crossover or uh, 
like being able to compare to. I agree. I would love to hear a a person in that era where when uh, Wailing Ghost came out of so, with someone of who is so critical and sharp and able to sort of comment on where China was at as a country and work some of those fantastic myths in to come up with like a potential solution. I think that would be amazing. Like I would love to hear his take on that dude who got his head chopped off, but then it came back on and then he laughed so hard it fell off again and died. Like I would love to hear that worked into some weird socioeconomic thing or, you know, yeah, or even know. that could be just a satire of relationships or love or I don't know, just attraction. Yeah, anything. You know, like a broomstick, he talks, you know, there's inanimate objects. It's it, co- it covered, he covers a lot of ground. So sure, I, I think it would work really well. And I'm right there with you, man. The The price of admission, you, I would pay. I would, <laughs> I would gladly pay. I would read that. You know what I don't want? Any more Pusong Ling of any kind. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to think while you were talking, I was trying to think of ways that he, that Pusong Ling could do Swift's work, I, I have no clue. I, I mean, he kind of, there are some of his stories were kind of about uh, similar-ish issues, you know, like the how the poor get by and how people, how the government works. And it was lightly about that, but I don't know. I, I wasn't a fan last week. If you want to get in on that podcast, go listen to it. But anyway, not to dredge up old information. No, I think it's uh yeah, I think it's becoming one of my favorite segments. Uh we got to we got to keep looking back in order to look forward. Yeah, I think the w- without tying this whole thing together, we'd ask the question, what are we doing here and we just can't answer that question. So we got to keep we're <laughs> just going to keep building this bridge, you know. You can only build a bridge if the back stays up, if the back stays uh, yeah. held in a float or it, whatever. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, let's rate this guy then. This collection, A Modest Proposal, Penguin Classics, it's obviously a collection of other things. I am going with, well, I'm going with two, and I even wrote an unfortunate two, because really I would put it a three. My bias is for a three. I think if I can be as I don't neutral as I possibly can and think of again, with the, with this rating section, I'm always trying to think of the current reader, listener, you know, who has a lot to do and lots to choose from. If you are willing to do even a tiny shred of Googling, Wikipedia paging, if you can Google Tories and Wigs at the time when he wrote it, if you can Google his Wikipedia, it's a three. But eh, for general population, whoever, you just want to pick up a new book, go in with reservations. Because the satire works, but not entirely without the context. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know, man. I originally agreed with the two. I think this one really kind of almost tips the scales. Thinking about everything we just talked about, it's it's all good. Everything in this book was really good. I don't know. We didn't even hit his poetry, and his poetry also is sneaky, kind of interesting and good, too. It's really, yeah, it's really good. Um, but there's some of the stuff in here. I, I'm, I'm very torn. I, I think I have to stick with my original two, but if you're a fan of the satire, if you've read any of these little classics up to this point and you've enjoyed like, you know, some of the shorts of Miss Rosie and the priest or, uh, you know, like, I don't know the Nietzsche or things like, I don't know. There's a lot to enjoy in here. So 
if you've if you've even considered it or heard his name or are just interested in a book that will surprise you, I would pick it up. So I don't know. This is like a two point, like a two point. 2.5. Yeah, strangely, I, I feel it, like the three, in addition to the uh, qualifications I already mentioned, the I would say it's actually probably a three if you've never read any of his work. This one does feel essential for a, for a person, if you're a native English speaker from America or England or wherever else England, English is spoken, like he's kind of monumental in that sense in, in terms of like a lot of the literature we read here is world literature. And I can't contextualize uh, Pu Song Ling in the history of the world because I never, that's not a history I know that well. But yeah. I think Swift, you kind of, I don't know, if that's, if you come from, you know, native English speaking country and you're curious about political history in, in that yeah, like hemisphere, a, you, I think yeah. you should, that then I think again, in a weird way, it's like a three, you should probably know. I mean, honestly, if you read a modest proposal and you don't see connections to the onion, then I just don't understand because it's clear that he was a pretty, <laughs> he was a giant in setting up that type of long form ludicrously detailed satire that's true and again like look hearing that i i'm in total agreement and i don't know how how i'm still giving it a two i feel like this one might be a three yeah well you know listen to your heart and listen to swift taunting you from his grave yeah listen to the Listen to the taunts. I I don't know. I have to stick with it too, just because our official scientific rating system just cannot be faltered at, at any point. But I think I'm going to end up going back after we finish 80 volumes and look back and be like, man, I wish I would have give, given a modest proposal a three. Sometimes thinking about the present like it's the past is helpful and illuminating. Yeah. I already know I'm going to regret this decision, but I got to <laughs> I got to stick with my original gut. And we don't uh, we don't do decimals here, so I'm I'm sticking with two for me. Two is uh, yeah qualified recommendation. We're qualifying this and contextualizing the recommendation. Yeah, this recommendation could be overqualified, but mm, I, only time will tell. I have a final bonus gem. Uh, this only came up briefly earlier in the episode. Normally, we don't have this segment. Uh, on this podcast, but I'm going to throw it in here. Um, bonus, this is a, a, a yeah. bonus segment. This is a flashback to the past. I did a class in college that was just Jonathan Swift. The whole semester of that class, it was an English literature class, obviously. And I pulled up, uh, I have my the kind of culmination paper I'd write for that class. Oh man, it's, you uh, found it. Oh yeah, well I've kept all that stuff. It's, you know, it's all digital, it's easy. Um, of course. I'm going to read my thesis here. Let's give you a taste of my claim. And then I'm going to read my conclusion and we'll keep it brief. <laughs> That's great. This, this is a, I also wrote this on 5-12-2010. So this is nine years old. Almost a decade. Almost All right, a decade. This is a decade ago I wrote this. It's mind-blowing. It's incredible this how is... incoherent I've become since then. Oh, man. That's fantastic. Let's get into it. All right. The thesis is, although it's kind of the whole first paragraph, but I'll read the final sentence. Mm-hmm. Although it is tempting to categorize Swift as a pure patriot of Ireland, I believe him to be best interpreted as a, quote, practical reformer, which is a quote from McMinn on page 109. Don't know who that is anymore. Shouts to you, McMinn. Okay. Right. Who, would, who would write just as passionately on Ireland's behalf as he would condemning its people's ignorance and indifference, depending on the historical context. 
That is the that's the argument. Is essentially he hate, mean... he hated tyranny. He hated it in England, and he hated it in Ireland too. And when it came to Ireland, he was just as brutal about Ireland's incompetence and its rulers. Yeah. As he was passionate about trying to offer solutions. I also wrote, I even wrote in the conclusion, this is in the middle of the conclusion, I'm just rereading it. While it is true that Swift wrote on the topic of Irish affairs after 1729, his motivation seems to have been drained at the completion of a modest proposal. So I think historically that was like his final attempt. Maybe that was his, maybe that's where its potency is. It's, that was his final gasp of like, I can't talk about this anymore. Yeah, I would love to know where that fits in as far as his, uh, what were we calling it? Oeuvre? Right, his oeuvre. Well, the next sentence contextualizes it. Here's a doozy. This is the kind of stuff you write in college. This is like a five-line sentence. Perhaps yeah. the realization that a country as divided as Ireland could never realistically oppose British colonial imposition destroyed any trace of Swift's hope, or perhaps as an Anglo-Irish Protestant, he grew tired of addressing issues that largely affected the Catholic masses, a population in which he had no real stake. And also, I think he had a good amount of scorn for them, too. That's, I mean, Ireland has, you know, it's mired in, uh, there's some religious issues there, And if you didn't know. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, long-standing, but yeah, man, pretty spot-on, man. I'm, I'm happy you were able to fake yeah, that up. I dug that up. I was looking through other pages. This was the longest one. This was like the culminating. I forgot what the prompt was. Um, I don't remember. But that's yeah. There you go. A little blast from the past. A little uh, time machine segment. Man, still. I mean, stands true. Almost ten years later. I don't know uh, what other I don't know I don't know what other college papers I'll have that will be relevant or that you might have that will be relevant to our readings, but you know, this is one. Oh man, who knows? Maybe zero. Well, I just I just pulled up another paper. I'm just clicking through that class's papers now. And apparently I wrote one about uh satire. Oh man. Well, we're definitely gonna read a lot more satire, so just bookmark that and we might have to come back to it. Well, this one's so particularly swift. This is an analysis of his satire through the lens of his correspondence, like reading his letters and his correspondence with other people. Oh, probably a lot better too. He w- I mean, he was a thorough writer, even in his letters, I think as far as I can um, remember. Yeah, I'm sure. Well, this segment has dragged this episode well past 30 minutes. That'll happen. I'm proud to do it. Happy to do it in the name of Swift, satire in Ireland. Not upset about it. Um, yeah, and and still it only got a two. That's, <laughs> I'm, already, I'm already looking back with <laughs> a, a boatload of regret. It'll make for an interesting uh, looking back podcast whenever we do, you know, a kind of like pause meditation episode. It'll make for good fodder. Oh yeah, there will be a there will be a, a series finale. Yeah, we'll we'll have to pause at some point and look back at this mountain that we're uh, climbing. Yeah, treat it like a high school reunion of podcasts. Yeah. Oh sure. Yeah, we could have some guests. You know, throw a little party. Well, well, that's a long ways from now. We. We'll really have to cross that bridge when we get there. When we do cross it, I don't have Pooh Songling's Facebook, and I refuse to invite him. <laughs> He's the only one we're leaving off the list. Everyone else, Man, Goonlog, Goonlog, man, no weapons, I guess. Just uh, yeah, that's fair. Swordless, swordless Goonlog. Yeah, he might be. A, he can sing a song. 
All right, Ryan, if you have any parting thoughts, hit me with them. Otherwise, uh, take us out of here. Let's close it out before 40 minutes arrives. Yeah, just the uh, just the regret. But other than that, uh, we will see. Oh, I didn't think. Did we say who we're going to be reading for this week? No, set it up. We're, uh, we're looking into three Tang Dynasty poets. So some poetry next week. I have 10 seconds and uh, we'll see you between the classics. 